Thank God. Second Corinthians chapter 10. Uh, the Guardian is a uh, newspaper in, in London. There's probably six or seven major newspapers in London, a couple of other tabloids as well. But this article came out of the Garden, uh, the Guardian rather. And it's written by Moyer uh, Sarnet, or Sarner, or I'm sorry, Sarner. And it said, envy, the deadly sin, is more present in our everyday lives than ever before, thanks to social media. She writes, not only do we compare ourselves with our friends and our neighbors, people we always have done, but now online we measure up against people all over the globe, celebrities, strangers, friends of friends. One therapist coined this comparative-itis. The emotional sickness which cannot be intellectually or cannot be cured by intellectually or curbed by willpower. Furthermore, the writer goes on and says, no age group is immune from this, no classes either. According to, then uh, the writer cites uh, uh, Ethan Cross, a university professor in the University of Michigan, of psych- uh, university professor of psychology. Re- he has written that envy is being taken to a new extreme. We are constantly bombarded with photoshopped lives. And he says that all that extols a toll on Uh, on us like which we have never experienced in our history as a species. And it is not only particularly present, uh, while we are busy finding the perfect camera angle uh, to make our lives look dazzling, flawless, but it's an empty shell for inside, because of envy of ourselves and others, we're lost. Paul is writing in our text that we're about to read, and he says that don't make a foolish comparison fiasco. Don't compare yourself and think that that is the measure of how you are doing. People compare themselves all the time. Talent, looks, intelligence, money, Success, position, all of these things can be, and to some degree there can be, maybe in medical terms, a healthiness to it, but, you know, it drives me crazy. My, my grandson, my, my daughter's not very tall. My, she married a man that's half Indonesian. I don't know if you know about the, anything about the Indonesians, but they're not very tall people. You don't read about them making the basketball finals in the Olympics. They're not, they're, you know, uh, they're not very tall. So my grandson is not very tall in the land of Holland, which is the tallest people on the earth. So when they bring out the comparison charts, he's always at the bottom end of it. And for a while, they were worried, is he healthy? Is he eating? Is he this? Is he that? He's just, that's the way he is. And that's just the way that it doesn't matter whether you, how you're comparing there. He's healthy. He's fine. He's doing well. If you consider his parents, not in light of the tallest nation on the earth, the Dutch. 
And so let's think about this. Paul writes, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse 12, he says, Oh, don't worry. We would not dare to say how wonderful these other men, uh, how wonderful uh, that we are. Oh, let me start again. Oh, don't worry. We would not dare to say that we are as wonderful as these other men who tell you how important they are. But by comparing themselves to each other, using themselves as the standard of measurement, how ignorant. We will not boast about the things outside of our area of authority. We will, on, we will boast only about what has happened within the boundaries of the work that God has given to us, which includes the, uh, our working with you. We are not reaching beyond the boundaries when we claim to have authority over you, as if we never visited you. For we, fir- we were first to travel to Corinth with the good news of Christ. Nor do we boast and claim credit for the work which someone else has done. Instead, we hope that your faith will grow, that the boundaries of our work among you will extend and then be able to go and preach the good news in other places far beyond you where no one else is working. Then there is the question of our boasting about the work that is done in someone else's territory. As the scripture says, if you want to boast, boast boast about the Lord. When people commend themselves, it doesn't count for much. The important thing for the Lord is uh, is for the Lord to commend them. I'm talking personally about the danger of comparison. This is what people do. They compare, they live in this realm, they're constantly trying to uh, live up, and, and if you do that, you will become a very miserable person. You will, it's just going to bother you. Paul says we don't dare to compare ourselves with those who say how wonderful they are. You'll always find people that will tell you how good they are. Proverbs 20 and verse 6 says, A faithful man, uh, everyone will boast of their own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. And so in life, people are comparing that it leads to all sorts of problems. You ever hear the definition of a credit card debt? Buying things you don't need to impress people you don't like with money you don't have. That is the problem with a lot of people with credit card debt or debt in general. They're trying to impress people. I remember I was a teenager and this guy had, uh, they, I worked at the, the day camp. This is where I taught sailing and a man had bought a sports car. And he had gotten a pretty ugly color. It was supposed to be gold, but it ended up kind of being like a puke yellow. I mean, that's the only way to describe it. And so he, he, was, he was very proud of his car, and he was like, yeah, but not everybody, and made fun of him and such, but he bought this to impress people. In our selfie generation age, uh, people are trying to put out the best side of them. Uh, They'll take 150 photos uh, to put one or two online. My niece 
Well, we were with her a couple years ago, and she was telling, she was asking my wife, okay, can you get a candid of me? Now I'm going to pose, which is now not a candid. Right? But I'm going to pose this way. And so my wife took the picture kind of reluctantly, and she looked, and she goes, oh, no, 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 let's try that again. I really want it to look candid. Now, there are professional photographers, maybe even some present, that can actually do that. That can make that look good. But this girl, she, she's just in it for kind of the, 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 the praise of others and such. And so if you want to complicate your life, live trying to compare yourself with everybody else. I heard a comedian say recently, he said, you know, I was home the other day and I said, oh man, the dishwasher's on the fritz. And she said, oh, call, call Sarah's, wife, Sarah's husband. Dave knows how to fix it. And he goes, oh, you know, the car's on the fridge. And he said, oh, you know what? Call Steph's husband. Mark knows how to fix it. Or whatever, you know, goes through this kind of thing, right? And he said, does it ever bother you that no one ever asked you? Man, I need a joke. Oh, call Carrie's husband. He knows how to fix it. You know, it never happens. Right? The problem with trying to live up to these false standards As it leads to sin, it leads to people just trying to fit in, it leads to giving in to peer pressure, it leads to allowing the social trend of the moment to dictate your morals. Out of that also, we'll try to justify ourselves. I'm not as bad as him. I do more than her. I'm okay because, you know what, they're not what they should be. So somehow that excuses what you're doing that you shouldn't be doing. That's now justification. Jesus dealing with the crowds. A man said in Luke 10, 29, the man wanting to justify his actions. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? I want to justify myself. So you know what? I'm going to ask this loaded question. I'm going to try to get around this. Uh, One commentary said of our text uh, in the King James, it says measuring themselves by themselves. He says it's, it's literally judging ourselves among them. Instead of measuring to the public standard or God's standard, we, me- we measure ourselves to one another's standards. These, they do not compare themselves with others who excel, but they compare themselves with people who they feel in their eyes are of a lower esteem. We never look at Pastor Mitchell and go, man, I'm doing okay compared to him. We find some slug in the dirt go, well, I'm doing better than him, doing better than her. That leads to pride. People who puff themselves up have to compare. I come from a large Irish Catholic family from Boston, and they love to compare. I, at one time, had made a brief attempt to get it back in touch with some of my family that I hadn't talked to in years. One of my cousins had moved to Michigan and, uh, or somewhere out there. Maybe it was, maybe, I don't know where, maybe it's Wisconsin, somewhere out there, I don't even know. 
And she started in uh, like our second conversation. Our first one was just kind of catching up, how married kids, we hadn't talked to each other in a while. And our second conversation was, well, you know, my husband makes a lot of money. How, how much do you make? We, uh, we own this kind of car. And what kind of car do you make? Like, you know what? I'm not having this conversation. Uh, my sins are forgiven. How about yours? Click. <laughs> you know? <laughs> You can play that game. It's, it's foolishness, but it's based in pride. Luke 14, 11, Jesus said, For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And there are people who lift themselves up. Uh, Monty Python was a comedian group uh, back in the 60s and 70s. I don't recommend you look them up or anything. They weren't always good. But they had one great skit, and it was called Four Yorkshire Men. It was four men, they were sitting around, and they're, they're at a bar, they're successful now, and they're thinking, oh, could you imagine back in the day that we would have done this? I remember living in my apartment and thinking, you know, uh, apartment, luxury. We had a cardboard box. Oh, we dreamed of a cardboard box. <laughs> we lived in a hole in the ground. Oh, we dreamed of a hole in the ground, because if we, uh, you know, uh, we lived in a lake... <laughs> And on and on they go, and they're comparing how worse they were. And finally, it ends with the man saying, you know, we would come home a half an hour before we got, uh, uh, half an hour after we got up. Our father would beat us to death and dance on our graves, and we'd do it every day, 29 hours a day. And you tell the youth of that today, and they don't believe you. It's like, what's funny is, though, that constantly they're trying to outdo each other. That's what makes that skit funny. And probably one of their most famous skits. But as you're trying to outdo somebody, either on how good you are or how bad you had it, you're beginning to lose the plot, and it's pride. 1 Corinthians 4, 6, Brothers and sisters, I have used Apollos and myself to illustrate what I've been saying. If you pay attention to what I have quoted from the scriptures, you won't be proud of one of your leaders at the expense of another. Paul's talking about Apollos here, and he's saying, you know what? I pioneered Corinth, I left, Apollos came in, and you know, some people, I'm, I'm of, you know, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Paul, I'm of Peter, I'm of Christ. Like, what? Says, that's not the way to do it. That's not the way it's profitable for you. Because the danger of comparison is that you'll be unsatisfied in your spirit. You'll never be happy in life if you're constantly comparing yourself. You'll be constantly frustrated because everybody will have it better. Everybody will have the better job, the better this, the better that, the better looks. It'll lead you away from the will of God, and it cheapens the things you have. You might be driving your car thinking, man, this car at least gets me from A to B without breaking down all the time. And while you're sitting at the light, maybe the Ferrari or the Rolls Royce or, you know, whatever pulls up next to you and you're going, this piece of junk. It cheapens life. Part of the problem, 
of comparison is you don't know the whole story. It doesn't give you the whole story. Bill Gates, many years ago at the Comdex Computer Expo, made the comparison, he said, if, of, of the computer industry versus the auto industry. He said, if GM had kept up with technology like the computer industry had, we would be driving $25 cars that get 1,000 miles to the gallon. But GM quipped back. The CEO of General Motors responded to Mr. Gates. He said, yes, but you would have to crash your car twice a day. The danger of comparison is that you don't give the whole story. Often you are comparing, just like the old expression, apples and oranges. You don't know the whole picture, which can be fatal. You don't know all that uh, a couple has gone through to have the marriage they have today. You might look at the doctor and say, man, he's got a lot Nice car, nice house, but did you really want to do 12 years of education after high school? Some of you couldn't wait to get out. Some of you didn't even bother to wait for graduation. But it's easy to be envious of them, to compare our lives to that. Talents, looks... James says, how do you know what your life will be tomorrow? Life is like the morning fog. It's here for a while, then it's gone. You know, when Napoleon took over France, one of the big problems that France had, France was a bunch of little dictates and things, tribes and, and states and colonies. They had 250 different measuring systems. 250 different weights and liquids and this and that became very confusing. So he actually set out and he made the metric system. He wanted to determine, there was an error in it, but this was, the, this was his goal, the length of distance between the poles, the North Pole to South Pole. He was going to divide that up, divide that up, divide that up by hundreds. That's why it's kilometers, a thousand meters is a kilometer. A hundred centimeters is a meter. A hundred millimeters is a centimeter. He took that and then he said, okay, we're going to make 10, 10 centimeters by 10 centimeters by 10 centimeters, one liter. Then he weighed what one liter of water weighs and said, that's a kilo. And he universalized the whole system that the rest of the world, except for the rebels in the United States, use. We don't always use the right instruments of measurement. I bought a set of commentaries, Bible commentators, that would have cost me over $150. But because someone, when they cut open the box, put the knife in a little too far and scratched about six of them, I bought it for $20. Because, you know, a little scratch on the outside really affects all the information on the inside, doesn't it? We have the wrong measuring systems in life. And when we compare, we only have to rise to the level of just being a little bit better in our minds than them. 
Our righteousness now becomes a moving target. Paul says in our text, we will not boast of the things that are done outside of our authority. We will only boast about the things that happen within the boundaries of the work that God has given us, which includes the working, uh, our working with you. Paul doesn't say, hey, I'm going to look at them and say, I did a better job than they did. He's going to say, did I do the best job for Jesus? Did I do the best I could for my Lord and Savior? Is, am I doing the best? Because if we're comparing, people have bad days. Does that allow you to drop your righteous standard? The other danger is that we don't then do our best for God according to our ability. We do it to what we perceive as someone else's standards. Why do we allow people to dictate what should be biblical standards, righteous standards, service to God standards, because we can point out someone else's flaw and that gives us an excuse. See them? They failed God one time, so I don't have to pay my tithe. See them? They one time didn't pray, so now I don't have to ever go on outreach again. And we'll use the, and it's amazing gymnastics in people's minds of how they get there because they compare. 1 Corinthians 15.10, but whatever I am now, it is because of God poured out his special favor on me and not without results. I've worked harder than any of the other apostles, but yet it was not I, but God who is working in me by his grace. Thomas DeLong, he's a professor at Harvard Business School. He noted the disturbing trend among his students and colleagues, and he called it the comparison obsession. He wrote, a former student of mine who graduated 10 years ago got a terrific job in a Fortune 500 company and still suffers from comparison obsession. It seemed like a terrific job until she received the alumni letter and learned that her fellow alumni who were in the MBA program uh, with her had been named as VP, uh, Vice Presidents of Fortune 100 companies. From that moment on, she could barely hold a conversation back without bemoaning her lack of being a VP in a Fortune 100 company. On one occasion, she told others that she felt like a failure. More than ever before, business executive, Wall Street, uh, Wall Street analysts, lawyers, doctors, and other professionals are obsessed with comparing their own achievements with others. Over the last five years, I've interviewed hundreds of Harvard graduates, or what he called HNAPs, High Need for Achievement Professionals, about this phenomenon. And comparing that, uh, comparing has reached an almost epidemic proportion. This is bad for individuals and bad for companies. When you define your success on the external rather than on the internal criterias, you diminish your satisfaction and your commitment. Uh, uh, commitment, telling others 
in my 500 interviews that these high need to achieve professionals over the past three years, more than 400 of them questioned their own success and brought up the name of at least one other peer who they had felt had more success than they did. Many of these individuals were among the best and the brightest, yet they were trapped by comparison reflex. And it gives place to emotions like envy, jealousy. Envy and jealousy lead to strife. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians and says, Brethren, I wish I could talk to you like spiritual people, but I can only talk to you like infants in Christ. And it's like you belong to the world and not to Christ. Because you are jealous of one another, you quarrel with one another. Doesn't that prove you are controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like other people in the world? This is the danger of this. But our text, Paul says, you can have the victory over it. You can have the victory over comparisonitis. There's a couple of ways or things he mentions here that helped him. He said, I don't compare. I'm not playing that game. He said, what I do have is a vision to do the work that God's called me to do. In our text, verses 15 and 16, nor do we boast or claim credit for someone else's work. Instead, we hope that your faith will grow in the boundaries of the work that God, uh, among uh, among uh, that we hope that your faith will grow in the boundaries of our work among you uh, among you will be extended, and that we will be able to go preach the good news in other places far beyond you, where no one else is working. Then there'll be no question that our boasting is in the work that is done in someone else's territory. Paul says, I'm contending for more. I want more. Do you want more for your life? This can be true in the, in the practical. You do the best job you can at your job. And then you can move on or up or work better. You can then maybe, at that point, you can have enough self-discipline to go out and work on your own. It does take self-discipline. Especially if you look outside some days and you go, it's too cold, or whatever. But the simply based is that I can do better. Not, it doesn't matter what they're doing. It doesn't matter if they're good or they're what. There's plenty of opportunities. This is true in the practical. That we say, you know what, I could be better. My prayer life could be better. My witnessing could be better. My Bible reading could be better. My Christianity could be better. Not about who's sitting next to you. It's not about what the other person did. It's about can you see your life being more used by Jesus? The purpose God has for your life. The plan He has for you. The place He has for you. He goes on to say this is based in what God has already done for us. Verse 17, 
of our text, he says, as the scripture says, if you want to boast, boast only about what uh, about the Lord. This actually comes out of the book of Jeremiah. And it's a picture there, if we're going to lift up anyone's name, if we're going to praise anyone's name in the work, it should be God's. Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. If you start thinking you're smarter, better, even more spiritual, you're in dangerous territory. Isn't it the grace of God? We're saved. God didn't have to save you. He didn't have to save me. He didn't have to save anyone. He doesn't have to save you. He doesn't owe that to us. He gave that to us. That's why it's called grace. Unmerited favor or a gift bestowed that you did not earn. And finally, he says that my reward comes from God. Verse 18, when people commend themselves, it doesn't count for much. The important thing is for the Lord to commend them. Proverbs tells us that many men will speak their own good. That praise from one's lips for themselves is vain. I've mentioned before that isn't it interesting that the word iniquity has a lot of eyes in it. But God says, Paul says, you know what? I'm looking for God's reward. God's the vindicator. God's the rewarder. God's the one who, who he, he's, he's really smart. I don't know if you know that. God's really smart. And he knows how to take care of you. If you do what is right, he'll take care of you. That will be seen in this life. There's many parables about that. The parable of the talents. Oh, he was faithful with five. Again, five. Give him, the, give him more. Give him, the, give him the talent from the guy who just buried it. And they all object, there were people who objected. But Lord, he has ten. That's not the case. Give it to him. God will reward those. He who is faithful with little will be faithful with much. If you're given a little and you're faithful with it, you'll be given more. If you have to start over every time, then you can't get anywhere. This is also true in the eternal. There's an eternal reward that God has for us. There's heaven. There's crowns. This this is not all there is to life. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, he says, you know what, if this is all there is to life, then we are kind of some of the most pitiful people on the planet. If all this life is, is this life, then Christians are kind of pitiful. But we know that there's more. There's far more to this life. That we're going to all... I have bad news for you. I'm sorry to break this to you. You're going to die. I don't know when. I don't know how. I pray you have a long, prosperous, healthy, blessed life. But someday, we're all going to die. 
We're all going to step into eternity and stand before our Lord and Savior. Just like the parable of the talents, there are those who are going to hear, well done, you good and faithful servant. And there are those who are going to hear, depart from me. That's the reality of life. And Paul says that, you know what, comparing yourselves and saying, oh, am I doing this and that, life changes, man. I don't know if you know this, but there are people that I used to think, man, I would dream to be like today. My heroes became zeros. I mean, I don't want anything to do with them. Because life will change. If you play that game, you're going to get distracted, derailed, and you're going to miss God. Paul says, I'm not missing God. I'm focused in God has good things for me. God has a reward for me. I'm going to serve God. I close with this. 1990, our fellowship had a rebellion. Just some men rose up, said some nasty things, especially about our leader who has passed away. And he was in frustrated, all of that. He's, you know, invested, loved these people. They turned around, accused him of all sorts of crazy things that he wasn't doing. And all of, you know, many of these men uh, blew up their marriages. All of them blew up their ministry. Uh, Some of them aren't even saved today. A couple of them I know even killed themselves. Very tragic. But they asked Pastor Mitchell... If this all falls apart, what are you going to do? He says, I'm going to go down to Phoenix and I'm going to start another church. Because that's what God called me to do. I'll do it again. Very similar to where Paul says, all of Asia has forsaken me. Paul had that spirit. That's what kept him. You know what? I've got an eternal reward. And that keeps me focused that when I get to heaven, I want to be given the crown of righteousness. I want to be given the crown of a soul winner. I want to have those awards and know that God has taken care to know what I did whether you liked it or not, whether you compared yourself to me, whatever, it's not the issue. That God in heaven is who I'm living to please. That's what Paul says. Are you living to please Jesus Christ, the one who rose again from the dead for you? Then you'll live and you'll know that your life really does count. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. Maybe you're here this this evening, and maybe you live a life comparing to everybody else. That's how you live your life. It's, it's all about comparison. It's all about, am I keeping up with my neighbors? Am I looking good on Instagram like everybody else? Am I, you know, is my Facebook account, you know, whatever, it's crazy. Because you're trying to please people that probably won't be impressed with you anyway. But the real question is, How's your life before God? How's your life if you were to have to stand before God today?
and give an account. Say, Lord, you know, I don't know, I was, you know, trying to keep up with living the American dream, but did you live to please him? Now, the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that none of us, not one, could actually say, I've done good in myself. So Jesus Christ came to earth, shed his blood on Calvary's cross, rose again from the dead, so that you and I can be forgiven. That we can know God in a personal way, that our lives can be changed. To be born again. That if we receive him as Lord and as Savior, that we can be a child of God. And that's how it begins, that we begin to put our life on the, on the track that God wants us to live. Then there's a purpose God has for you. A plan, a perfect plan. The reason you were born. And He's going to take care of you. He's going to help you. But maybe you don't know God like that. You've never received Jesus in your heart. You've never been forgiven of your sins like that. I wonder if you'd give us the opportunity to pray with you. It's not that we're better. Christians aren't better. They're forgiven. And you're here and you're not forgiven. You want to know and experience the forgiveness of God. I wonder if you'd slip up your hand. Say, that's me. Pastor, would you pray for me? I'm not right with God. I'm not saved. I'm not a Christian. Maybe you're backslidden. Maybe you've, you've just started comparing yourselves. Your Christianity became so miserable that your standards have dropped so low that you're not saved. You come to church, but you're not saved. Born again. You're, you don't have a relationship with God. It's mechanics. It's religion. Jesus wants you to come back. Slip up your hand. Pray for me. I need to get my heart right with God. Anyone at all? Changing the call then to Christians, one of the worst mistakes in social media hypes this to the max, that people are comparing their lives with others. Some compare their Christianity with others. Big mistake. The question you need to ask yourself is, are you doing what God wants you to do? Are you being what God wants you to be? Are you obeying what God has told you to obey? That's where the questions really are answered. If you can answer those, then you're in a good place. Because then you can deal with the issues. Let's stand. We're going to sing that song. The splendor of the king. Worship his name and give him glory. The splendor of the King He's clothed in majesty
sing that chorus one more time. tonight. Father, we love you. We thank you, God, for all that you're doing in our lives, the grace, the work you're doing, God. Oh, thank God. Thank God.